Okay. Hi, everyone. Good evening. So um, we're going to begin with a 25-minute or so long meditation. It'll consist of two different parts. The first part will be um, focus on concentration, just settling into the breath, following the breath. Um, and we'll do that for uh, a little while, like 10, 10 or so minutes, uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then the second half of the meditation will be focused more on just um, awareness, just um, still staying with the breath, but widening the lens of our attention so that um, we're really just attentive to whatever is arising in our experience, moment by moment. Um, and then afterwards, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to understand the relationship between these two components of meditation practice that we're going to do tonight. And... Um, and how to understand how they relate to the, the various kinds of meditations that I offer on these Tuesday night sessions. Um, I think uh, a question that I get from time to time is, you know, so we do body scans, we follow the breath, sometimes we do two or three point awareness, sometimes we do loving kindness, you know, sometimes we even do other things beyond that. So like what's, uh, what, what practice should I do on a regular basis, you know? Um, um, what's the one that I should I should I should consider my go-to or something like that? So um, the idea of tonight's class is actually instead of giving like everyone one practice to stick to, rather give you the tools to figure out what you need on a given day and how to incorporate these two crucial elements of I think any core Buddhist practice: concentration and awareness. And so how to um, how to sort of um, so figure out which mix of those two things um, would be good for you on any given day. So it's it's so that you can decide for yourself um, what you need in a given moment. So okay. So um, if you're new, that there are a few people on the call. I um, uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe I know everyone. I don't know. There, there, there seem like there are a few people I haven't at least seen in a while. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just been a long time. Um, so, um, in case anyone is new um, or hasn't been here a long time, um, just follow along, um, and uh, I'll I'll see you guys in twenty five or so minutes. So, okay, it's good to have you here. It's nice. It's nice to sit with you all. So. Um, Juanita is someone I have not seen in a very long time. So it's really nice to see you're just even your name there. So good to see you, Juanita. Um, okay. So please get in a comfy position. Hi, Juanita. So please get in a comfortable position. Um, back. Nice and sort of erect, but not stiff. In the front side of your body, the chest and the belly, just soft and open so they can move easily and naturally as you breathe in and out. So you just want to be upright, dignified, but not in any kind of stiff or rigid way. And maybe just take a few deep breaths, nice slow deep breaths to settle into the posture, settle into this moment. One thing I like to do when I'm taking these initial deep breaths is sort of there, there are a couple of things. One, you can imagine that there's a string that's running between from the base of your spine up the spinal column all the way through the top of your head and all the way up to the ceiling. And as you breathe in, imagine that someone up there in the ceiling is just giving a slight gentle tug on that string. And can this visualization I think helps me sort of get the spine nice and aligned, nice and erect. And as you exhale, just let everything drop. This, this spine that's now straight, just support effortlessly the weight of the body. Let your shoulders drop. Let all your muscles relax. 
Another visualization I sometimes find useful is as you breathe in really deeply and slowly, imagine that your spine is like one of those long, thin balloons that people make balloon animals out of, and they're blowing it up. And so feel your whole spine just inflate with air. And then again, as you exhale, just let everything drop. You know, picture your spine as being like a coat rack and the rest of your body as being like the coats that are just hanging limply on this hat stand, coat rack, whatever. Okay, so now let your mouth come to a close. Breathe in and out through your nose and just let your breath be natural. From now on, no longer intentionally lengthening the breath, not managing the breath in any way. Just letting the breath find its own rhythm, whatever it may be. And truly, this means whatever it may be, the breath should feel free to be shallow, rapid, uneven, or long and deep, just as much as possible, try to let go of any sense of control over your breathing. Just let the breath discover throughout the course of this sitting, moment by moment, its own natural pace and rhythm. I think for the first minute or so, really, that's all we need to do is just practice letting go of the breath, letting the breath breathe itself. If you're like most people, you probably will discover that you can't help but try to exert some control over the breath, even when you say, I I want to let the breath be, just I want to let go of control. You can still feel some tension around the breath, some sense of control. That's okay. Very common. Very, very common. Just notice that tightness, that tension around the breath. Just be aware of it. And just as much as possible, Try to let go of that sense of control and try to let the breath just breathe itself. And again, that may not be completely possible and that's okay. Now, please bring your awareness to the inside of the tip of your nose. <clears throat> and just feel the sensations produced there at the tip of your nose by your breath as it moves in and out of the body. And whenever you realize that you've become distracted, lost track of the breath, become lost in thought or fantasy, 
just gently acknowledge that fact. Acknowledge that you are thinking. And then gently, without judgment, bring your awareness back to the sensations of the breath at the tip of your nose. As a way of deepening our focus on the breath, see if you can feel all the sensations, an entire inhalation from the beginning of the in-breath through the middle to the end. And feel all the sensations of the next exhalation, from the beginning to the end of the out-breath. And notice how moment by moment, there are just subtle variations, subtle changes, the quality of the sensation of the breath. It's the end of a long day, we've all been busy, our minds may be a little scattered or restless at this moment, and you may find it difficult to stay attentive to the breath, and you may be tempted to judge yourself for that. If you find yourself being judgmental, experiencing any frustration or impatience with yourself or with this practice, just remember, those are just thoughts. Recognize that, oh, I'm having a judgmental thought. I'm experiencing frustration. Name that and then return your awareness gently to the breath.
sometimes when we're focused on a single point like we are now, we can become kind of effortful, a little sort of tense, striving in our attempt to stay locked onto the object of concentration. If you notice that you're tensing up with effort, trying to stay focused on the breath, just notice that you're doing that and try to relax that effort. This isn't meant to be a strenuous exercise. Think of your awareness as resting on the breath, not gripping it or clenching it tightly, just resting gently on the breath. as a way of deepening even further our connection with the breath. Let your awareness be attentive to the pause between the end of one exhalation and the beginning of the next inhalation. Once we have totally exhaled one breath, it's usually just a brief pause before the body naturally begins to inhale. Let me notice that moment and how it feels. And we're going to begin to expand the field of our awareness beyond this single point that we've been concentrating on till now. So please continue being aware of the sensations of the breath, the tip of your nose. But include in your awareness now the sounds in the environment around you. So we're feeling the breath. We're also simultaneously listening to all the sounds that we can hear around us. At first, it may be difficult to hold both things in awareness simultaneously, in which case, feel free to toggle back and forth. Listen for a bit to the sounds around you and feel the breath for a bit, and once in a while, see if you can hold both breath and sounds in your awareness simultaneously.
Now continue listening to all the sounds around you, feeling the breath, the tip of your nose. But including your awareness now, along with those two things, the sensations of the breath of the chest and the belly. Feel the way the chest rises and falls. Feel the way the belly expands, contracts as you breathe. So you're feeling the breath throughout the whole body now, not just the nose, but throughout the whole torso and listening for the sounds around you. At this very moment, can you hear all the sounds around you? Or are you lost in thought? So for the rest of this meditation period, we're going to continue following the breath and listening to sounds around us in this way. But we're also going to be open to just whatever other sensations, thoughts, feelings arise as part of our experience. You may feel sensations in other parts of the body. You may notice thoughts flitting through the mind, or you may notice an emotion or feeling arrive, hang out for a bit, and then pass away. Use the breath and use the sounds around you to stay grounded in the present moment, but let your awareness be relaxed and open so you just notice whatever else is going on. It's part of your present moment experience. Just being aware what this moment is like. If this helps, you might think of a third of your awareness being on the breath, a third of your awareness attending to sound, and the final third of your awareness just noticing whatever else arises as part of your present moment experience.
Right now, can you feel your breath? Can you hear the sounds around you? If not, come back to the present moment. Sometimes we'll have particularly emotionally charged thoughts, thoughts that make us feel intense emotions. Or we'll find ourselves really sort of obsessively ruminating about a particular thing. Sometimes the thoughts can be really sticky. When that happens, it can be helpful to say thinking to ourselves as a way of breaking the spell of that thought or even repeat the thought to yourself verbatim. Say having a thought and just repeat the thought as a way of breaking the spell of that thought. And then return to the breath, to the sounds around you. Okay, it's good for tonight. Feel free to move, get comfortable, get yourself a drink of water. So I have a few things I want to say about the two basic kinds of practice that we just engaged in. But before I do that, I want to ask if anyone has any just questions about sort of like the the, the nuts and bolts of the practices that we were doing. Um, is there any sort of instruction I gave where you're like, well, I'm not sure what you meant by that or how do you do that? If there's any questions like that, please um, go ahead and ask that now.
Okay. Um, if any questions come to mind at any point, just interrupt me, you know, just, um, so, so, um, like I said, uh, before we started the meditation, tonight's class is a little bit of a response to a question that I've got recently and I get from time to time, which is like, so we do a lot of different kinds of practices, like, you know, um, what should I do as my sort of regular practice or my, you know, day-to-day -day practice? Or how are these practices related? Or, you know, questions like that. You know, it just seems like there's like so many different kinds of things that we're doing. So part of what I want to um, sort of convey tonight is that um, beneath that diversity or a variety of practices that we've been engaged in is actually um, uh, a fundamental kind of commonality to all the things that we've been doing. And I want to sort of draw that out um, so that it's, it's, it won't be such a question for people like, well, how, how is this practice connected to that one? Or, you know, um, what, which one should I do regularly? You'll, I'm hoping that after just these brief remarks, you'll see actually like how, even though we do lots of superficially different things, we're actually kind of always practicing the two kinds of things that we did tonight, you know? Um, and so, because I think it's, it's kind of a good and useful thing to have some sense of the traditional Buddhist terminology for um, the components of meditation practice. I just want to introduce you to two terms, which I don't use very often, um, um, but they're, they're, I think they're handy to know. So, all of the various Buddhist traditions, you know, all the geographically diverse Buddhist traditions from India, um, Central Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia, um, they have many different kinds of approaches to meditation. But all of the meditative techniques have two components that are common to all of them. And one of those components is called shamatha, which is the Pali word for calm, or tranquility or serenity. So shamatha, and then vipassana, which is the word that um, means insight. Um, it means to have an overview or looking over something, you know. So, um, you know, you, you see in certain Zen temples in Japan, people focusing on this question, like, does a dog have Buddha nature? You know, uh, you have Tibetans doing like crazy visualization exercises. Um, you have um, people in Southeast Asia, you know, practicing sort of noting, uh, like, you know, when they lift their feet when they're walking, like, you know, I'm, I'm noticing like the lifting of the heel, noticing the lifting of the, the, the toes, like breaking down experience into com microscopic component parts. And so on the surface, all of these things look very different, you know, but they're all different ways that different meditative traditions cultivate these two skills, shamatha and vipassana. This is the commonality to all of them. Shamatha is basically the creation or the cultivation of calm or tranquility or serenity by having the mind, training the mind to settle on some something, usually like the breath. It could be an image, it could be a sensation, it could be a mantra. Could, so, But for us, usually it's breath or sounds. We're giving the mind some place to fix itself, to focus on, to concentrate, or to, to basically to rest, you know? Because the mind, when it's not engaged in this kind of practice or training, is often just running all over the place, right? It's like, doesn't know how to stop. And basically we're doing our mind a favor by giving it something to chew on, something to rest itself on. Um, and so um, that's, I think, one of the most crucial components of all of the Buddhist traditions ways of practicing meditation. They all have some form of the cultivation of calm or serenity or tranquil shamatha. Okay. And so for us tonight, it was just feeling the sensations of the breath in the nose. 
Um, the breath is, I think, one of the most common sort of anchors that people use for this kind of practice, concentration practice. But again, it could be all sorts of things. So like when we do body scans, it's a moving anchor. You know, it's a, the sensation at the top of the head and then it's the forehead and then it's different parts of the body. So that moving focus functions exactly the same way that the focus on the breath worked for us tonight. Um, loving kindness practice is a classic example of shamatha practice. Um, part of loving kindness practice is obviously the cultivation of certain feelings of warmth and kindness for others, but it's always bringing our, our mind back to like, may you be happy, may you be safe. So this, that functions in the way that our focus on the breath function tonight. Okay, so in all these different kinds of practices, there's always some component, often, maybe not always, but often some component that serves as a kind of anchor which is designed to help cultivate this kind of tranquility or peace or, or serenity. Now, there's nothing distinctively Buddhist about shamatha practice or concentration practice. Um, practices like this, um, breath falling practices, you know, focusing on mantras, focusing on like the flame of a candle, things like that, existed long before the Buddha was ever born. So there's nothing distinctively Buddhist about this way of sort of settling the mind down. Um, and the Buddha is said to have mastered all the different kind of concentrative techniques that were available to him at that time and found them all to be insufficient for um, the purpose that he was looking for, which is liberation from the suffering you know, of existence, liberation from the suffering that came from having this eluded sense that he was a separate being from others, this sense of like, I am me, you're you, this like this sort of sense of, of cut-offness or separation, this delusion, this fundamental delusion. Um, and so, um, so shamatha is really important, but on its own, it does not constitute a truly Buddhist form of meditation. For us to get something distinctively Buddhist out of meditation practice, we need to incorporate the pasana, which is sort of the part of the practice that produces insight. Um, or awareness, right? Um, and so this, that is the thing that the Buddha discovered through his own meditation practice, and that became the core thing that he passed on to his students as a sort of path of liberation, getting insight into the nature of the mind, insight into the nature of the self, insight into the nature of reality. So thing is like, you can be, you can achieve very deep levels of peace and calm, right? By practicing shamatha, um, but it's always going to be a somewhat kind of fragile, um, in, uh, impermanent kind of calm. You can attain it while you're engaged in the practice of concentration, but when you come out of it, it nothing fundamental will have changed. The thing that really creates that fundamental change or liberation is the practice of vipassana, is the practice of awareness. And so that's what we were practicing in the second half of tonight's sitting, where we take the focus that we developed through the, the breath following at the beginning of the evening, and then use stability that, that helped create to begin to look at just the nature of our moment-by-moment -moment experience. So, now, you may feel like you didn't get much of any kind of insight from tonight's sitting. You know, that's fine. Different sittings produce different levels of, of, um, of insightfulness, you know. And this is something that we have to do a lot. It's not some kind of thing we just do for like 20 minutes or even just for a few months or, you know. But over time, looking at our experience in the way that we were tonight, you start to realize certain basic things like the fact that any experience that I might have while I'm sitting comes and goes, you know, um, that it's impermanent. And this is one of the core insights that we get through meditative practice, that no matter what I'm experiencing, however pleasurable or however unpleasant, will eventually come and go. Um, nothing lasts forever. And even if we try to hold on to it, we're not going to be able to hold on to it. 
even the calm that we might cultivate through shamatha practice is impermanent. You know, it will also grow at some point. Sometimes we can enjoy it, and sometimes it won't be there. And um, there's no way to hold on to anything. And this is one of the things that we start to see. This is one of the core kind of insights you start to have through this vipassana type practice. You also start to see the ways in which you create suffering for yourself by either trying to push away things that you don't want to experience that feel unpleasant, or hold on to things that do feel like like pleasurable. That sort of that that way that we react to our experience. So we see the experience itself as impermanent, no way to control it. But we also see the way that we create so much suffering for ourselves by trying to control it, by saying, "No, I don't want to feel that. No, 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 I don't want to have that thought." Right. Well, that's not going to work. I mean, probably some of you saw that tonight. Like, no matter what you did, like certain thoughts would come back, certain kinds of feelings would arise. You can't control that. And the very attempt to control it is one of the key forms of suffering that the Buddha realized that we sort of torment ourselves with, you know. Um, and so that there is something that is always kind of like, you know, this, um, yeah, I, I, maybe I'll just I'll leave it at that. Okay. And then another key thing that you can see, and I think people in this group, especially the ones who've been here for a long time, have begun to experience this, which is you start to see that there's certain kinds of thoughts and feelings we have that are very much about ourselves as individuals. Like, oh, like I am this kind of person, I'm a, I'm a nice person, or I'm a really screwed up person, or... Um, or uh, I like to, uh, ways that we like to think are self-images that we have, right? Um, a picture of ourselves as uh, this type of, of, of character. So. And just like sensations are impermanent, they come and go, we start to experience the ways in which all these thoughts we have about ourselves, all the ways that we think about ourselves also are just part of the flux of experience. They come and go as well. They're not solid. They're not so kind of solid and um, and uh, persistent as they were before we started meditation practice. Because as we get more and more comfortable going along with the flow of experience, we start to see that, oh, part of that flow of experiences are all these thoughts about myself, all these these images I have myself as, as such and such a kind of person or, um, uh, you know, um, and um, and that I think is when practice really begins to change us in very deep um, and and sort of persistent ways, where um, ideas about ourself that before we begin meditation practice seem so solid, you know, um, so durable, start to become a little bit more porous, start to become a little bit um, uh, um, yeah, um, softer, um, evanescent even, where, you know, um, you can have the experience of feeling like, wow, I, I feel such a strong sense of um, fear or shame or guilt or some other kinds of like I, f I feel this strong like i feel you know that i am like you know uh something's wrong with me or i'm a bad person or you know i should have done that and then you see that that thought actually can just go like you experience your sensations come and go um or there's a view the strong opinion that i have that i feel so you start to realize oh that too, I can feel much more flexibility about that, not nearly so attached to that strong conviction that I had, that strong opinion. Um, I can start to hold that thought a little bit more lightly, which then maybe allows me to see the perspectives of other people with more clarity and more empathy, you know. Um, beco becoming less self-concerned, less self-focused, we start to be able to see um, and attend to other people with more compassion, more care. So it starts to affect also relationships with other people. So in any case, um, any meditation practice that includes these two components, 
shamatha and vipassana, the through the concentration and awareness, through calm and insight, will work. It is a good practice for us to be engaging in. And so what I offer on most Tuesday nights are just different variations of this kind of fundamental mix of practices they come in different forms. Sometimes I'll emphasize one more than the other. Sometimes I'll emphasize, you know, just focus on the breath. But even there, see, it's like, you know, it's it's useful, I think, to make this kind of distinction between Shambhata and Vipassana. But even there, um, there are always a little bit intertwined with each other. Because, for example, when we're following the breath, right, at the beginning of tonight's meditation, I think probably every single one of us has experience of having thoughts intrude, you know, come, and we start to see, oh, and then that is a classic form of insight. We're learning something about how our mind works, you know. And so even in the attempt at shamatha or just concentration, we're gaining insight into the nature of the mind, you know, that the mind is like a monkey, as Buddhists like to say, it's jumping all over the place. Or maybe even a finer grained insight, like, oh, there's a particular kind of thought pattern that is uh, obsessing my my mind uh, at this moment, or maybe just me in general. I'm learning that, oh, I am really obsessed with achievement. I can't stand not being able to do things well, and not being able to focus my mind right now is driving me crazy. And you realize something very deep about this, or the way that your sense of self is made up or constructed, that it's based on getting things done, being good at things, right? And um, so even there, before, well before we practiced awareness in some explicit way, very likely many of us are gaining insights into the nature of the mind, just doing the so-called purely shamatha portion of the meditation tonight. So, um, What kind of practice should people do? As long as your practice consists of both of these elements, that's fine, you know? And I think beyond that, it's good to sort of be able to check in with how you're doing, how your practice is going, but also how you're feeling on a given day and say, you know, today my mind is just all over the place. And it's very difficult to sort of gain any genuine insights into the mind when the mind is so harried that it just, you can't even see anything with clarity. It's just like a rushing, roaring stream, you know? And then maybe the thing to do that morning or that evening is actually just practice like following the breath. Just, you know, don't worry so much about the Vipassana part of the equation. Just focus on sort of trying to settle the mind, bring a little bit of concentration to the mind. Um, but you can also maybe notice that actually, you know, I, these meditations I'm doing, you know, for the last week, they felt really great. You know, I feel really calm, but maybe you feel like, but I'm not really like, it's just, you know, I'm just kind of like spacing out. I'm sort of getting to this kind of like, kind of nice, fuzzy, spacey state. It's very enjoyable. I can hang out in this. It's nice. I'll go along for it. But, you know, maybe you realize actually, but I'm not really like, intention with any kind of rigor or clarity to what's going on in the mind or what's really going on in my experience and maybe what i need to do is focus a little bit more on attending to okay so this is these are the kinds of thoughts i'm having right these are the kinds of emotions i'm having or these are the kind of sensation i'm experiencing so that you maybe dial up the vipassana component of meditation practice and don't rest so kind of um uh, comfortably in just the calm, calming part of the practice. So I think one of the key things that needs to develop as we meditate over time is the ability to check in with ourselves and course correct, you know, like, okay, is this becoming, you know, is, is am I gaining any kind of insight into the mind? Am I actually like learning anything about how my mind functions or am I just sort of like enjoying calm? You know, nothing wrong with calm, but next time, you know, you, someone says something to you that like, you know, hurts your ego and you lash out or you feel you, you curl up in a ball, you know, feeling like so wounded, right? That calm 
is not going to be very helpful to you. What's going to help is understanding something about how you react to um, discomfort and the kinds of images that you're attached to on yourself. It's the insight that will ultimately produce a sense of freedom, a sense that you aren't trapped in the sort of constricted confines of the image that you have of yourself that will allow you to sort of experience life with a much bigger, more spacious sense of self and that's more open to experience. So, um, okay, I'm going to pause there and, um, and see if anyone has any questions now, because I know this is a little bit theoretical. It's more theoretical than I sometimes get, but I want to give people a way to think about like, so what, what, what's the through line, of all the practice we do and they give you the tools also to kind of adjust your own practice, sitting to sitting, day to day, week to week. I don't have anything deep. I just wanted to say that that was really helpful, Bernie. So thank you for taking the time to kind of go through that with us. Cool. I'm glad it made sense. I was kind of wondering. Okay. Um, hi, Bernie. I also wanted to um, say that was really helpful. I think I haven't heard anybody explain that breakdown between the two and how the different uses of the two and also applying it to um, off the cushion life. Mm -hmm. um, it made a lot of sense to me. And cool. uh, even though it was theoretical, I think it was, uh, it's practical. I can put it to use. <laughs> I can actually put, put what I've been doing to better use now because of what you said, I think. That's great. And you know, it's like, yeah, I I um I try not to get too theoretical, too philosophical. Um, but I think it's actually it's it's important to have a certain theoretical understanding of what we're doing. Um otherwise, um I think it's very hard to be one's own teacher, you know. Um, and ultimately that's what this is this is about, this path is about. It's about learning how to be our own teacher, be our own guide you know, and not be sort of like, you know, um, at the mercy of what someone else is telling you to do on a given meditation period or something. So, yeah. I, I want to second what the two previous people said, and your your talk tonight really seemed to clarify and affirm directions I've been going in my own practice. So, thank you. Cool. Well, if questions do arise, especially in the midst of your own sort of daily lives and just ongoing sitting practice, you know where to find me. Um, and I'm I'm happy to talk about anything. And I'll just say, you know, like if anyone has a, a question or an issue of a practice that's just coming up that feels live to you and you just want me to address it, just shoot me an email and uh, I'll, be, I'll be very happy to... Um, uh, devote an evening, a Tuesday evening, to, to addressing it. I have found over the years of doing this class that actually like the the sort of talks, I mean, you know, they're so rough and ready, I don't know if they're talks, but like these remarks of mine, that the ones that feel most alive to me are ones that are responses to things that people have asked me about. Um, not sort of things I said, I think people should know this. Like, you know, sometimes that's useful. Sometimes it works out okay. Like tonight, maybe it did. But the ones that feel really alive to me are the ones that are like actually like responses to someone's heartfelt question, you know. So don't hesitate to reach out with the question. Okay. So um eight thirty-one, if um if we could sit together for just 30, 45 seconds, um, and then before we say goodnight, that would be wonderful. Okay. Mm -hmm.
Okay, everyone. Wonderful to see you all. And um, and to the people who have, are coming for the first time in a long time, wonderful to see you. Um, and um, I'll see you all in, a, in a, a few weeks. Okay. All right. You again, Bernie. Thank you okay, so much. Care. Thank you. Thank you, Bye -bye. Bernie.